0: Welcome into to the Autzen Audible's podcast. Matt Perey, i Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to game week. We've officially arrived to game week of the 2022 college football season. Uh, the Oregon Ducks obviously open up against uh, the number three ranked Georgia Bulldogs, defending national champions, Dan Lanning's old stomping grounds, and... To get ready for the week, we are bringing in the Monday mailbag back to its regular scheduled time. And a lot of questions are big picture or focused on Georgia specific.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a fun show. Fun to be in game week. Uh, we'll speak with Dan Landing later this evening for those who maybe are expecting coverage just to give that. I know some people I going listen much later in the day, but if you are listening to this, like right when it gets dropped this morning, typically there'd be a press conference. That is yeah. not the case this year. Dan's going to be speaking late evening around 645. So we um, expect to uh, see coverage from what he has to say around that time, just giving people a warning. So they're not thinking we're sleeping on the job or something. So um, first question comes in from pair half. And by the way, This is the first time in a while we've taken a question from someone from the website. Usually we take it from Twitter, but Matt got a direct message on the site from somebody. I thought it was a good question to start the show with. So from Pear Half on Duck Territory, there's not really a question in here, but there's a lot of things to talk about. Uh, The way things ended last year for the football team, I understand the hesitancy of people regarding this year's team, but don't you think this year's team is set up to win I mean, how many years in a row have they signed top classes? I was really sad to see Mario leave, but it wasn't like he won many games in the coaching box, more so with recruiting and cultural build. I can think of more games where lack of adjustments uh, – well, that cut off in our chat, so I have to, to – I think it's here. bad
0: game plans.
1: Uh, well, the, whole, the whole thing cut off way early in the chat. Uh, bad game plans, questionable in-game calls, either made for close wins or dubious losses. With this team's past recruiting lineup and the experience game. With past year's re- injury coverage uh, by younger players, if this year's coaching staff can do better adjusting to game situations and utilization on the of personnel, this should be a top ten team, in my opinion. It's a long question; might be a record for the longest, uh, in part because usually these are Twitter questions, and I think that probably was like two or three tweets um, <laughs> worth of, of characters from Paraf. But I think I think I want I want to start here because, and we touched on this a little bit um, in the past, but the coaching element here and how much that can play an impact. And I don't I don't want to spend time dissecting Mario Cristobal's time at Oregon because I find that to be kind of counterproductive. That's in the past. There's about to be a new season with a new coaching staff that starts in like five days, so I'd rather focus on the new staff. But I, I just think the role in Oregon's success this season from the coaching staff is something we so rarely talk about. We spend so much time talking about players. We so spend so much time talking about, schemes which obviously are are coach related we talk about injuries we talk about yeah like like he mentions here like younger players and how much they can be involved i think it's important though to talk about a young coaching staff in terms of the game in game out situations um and my point to this would be mario was and again i don't want to get too much into the weeds with bash and mario mario was not a great in-game coach i think most people would admit that and there were mistakes that did hurt Oregon, I don't know when to say cost them games, but probably cost them some games or hurt the opportunity to win some games. I just want to guard against the idea that Dan Lanning, who has no experience as a head coach, is going to step in and be a master in-game coach in terms of yeah. clock management, in terms of decision-making, in terms of all those kind of things, because I think that's setting him up to become a punching bag potentially from the fan base who – uh, I think I'm already seeing it just kind of like the expectation is he's going to be kick-ass right away. And I want to remind people that, that that doesn't really happen typically. It's pretty unique. You think back to Chip Kelly at Oregon uh, over a decade ago. His first game against Boise State was a complete disaster. It um, was one of the most disappointing losses to start a season Oregon has had. They totally didn't show up. I don't think they had a first down in the first half. It ends with a player throwing a punch. And people at that point were like, oh, my gosh, what is he doing? What, did they make the wrong play? And it was the same thing. Well, where Kelly was a longtime coordinator, a very successful coordinator, really a innovative, you know, kind of thinker, and uh, it didn't work out in the first game, and then it, and then the season picked up and it turned out really totally fine. Obviously, he had the best four-year run in school history. I think with Landing, we have to be aware that he might take some ups and downs, you know, as a head coach. This is his first time being the guy, and I, I thought it was. I think the question is getting towards a ten-win season and the possibility of that. I think that's totally plausible oregon has a really talented roster i think i think they can win a lot of games but i also just want to guard against the expectation being that dan comes in and it's like hunky dory everything's perfect and everything's great he's like a savant immediately he's gonna make mistakes he even mentioned it in a scrimmage the second one that he made a mistake with a clock management uh decision at the end of a like a end of game situation rather than clocking a ball that kicked a field goal blah 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 so Uh, A long-winded way of me saying, like, I think there's a lot in this question from Pair Half to consider in terms of, like, why things could be better. But one thing that I don't think is automatically better is that a first-year head coach is going to be significantly better than somebody who had, you know, six to seven years, maybe not as an elite or even a very good game management coach, but one who at least had head coaching experience in that regard.
0: Ditto, Eric. Ditto. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Sorry, I said a lot of words. (laughs) I I think you're right on Mario Cristobal, and I think you're also right on uh, everyone just needs to pump the brakes that Dan Lanning is going to be perfect. Um, He might be, but he could have a lot of growing pains too as a head coach from a game management perspective. I think that also applies to offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham. This will be his first time running his own offensive system his own idea of what the offense should look like in its entirety and have full control of that. Um, I think Joe Lorig as a special teams coordinator has a lot of success previously at Penn State. Um, There's less worry there about special teams for me. Um, But you can go down the line for some of these coaches, and I think it applies there too. Now, for the first part about is this team set up to win, you know, the four recruiting classes in a row of leading the Pac-12. I think that's true. And there's only a couple spots where you have to say, okay, if this group can maybe play, if we, if we can get good production from here, then we're going to say, then yes, we, we could be that elite team. And I think most notably it's quarterback. And ultimately that will probably decide if this team goes from being a eight or a nine win team or going to that double digit mark where, they're winning 10 games in the regular season. And maybe at the end of November, they're in somewhat of a discussion for the college football playoff. Um, I I think at cornerback that also factors in, we know that Oregon has some talent at a couple, you know, a couple guys, but the depth behind them is, isn't established yet. But on paper, I'm with you. The question pearl half pair half that on paper, this team is positioned to win it. Like any team, they've got questions. And for for them, it, it boils down to kind of just what can you get offensively at quarterback and can it be good enough to be a, to be a 10-win or more team? And then defensively, you've got a couple spots, cornerback, maybe a pass rusher. If those spots develop, then yeah, everything else is kind of situated where you could be really really good, but that's why you play the games cuz you just don't know the answers yet.
2: This is, like you guys have both mentioned, a very loaded question. Um, I'm not really sure where to even begin with with answering these these series of questions, this one long-ranging questions. Um, I guess I'll begin with the fact that Mario Cristobal did not leave the cupboard bare for Dan Lanning or whoever else was going to be the head coach, whether it was Dan or just Wilcox or... I don't know, any 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 random person who who took over the head coaching job, me or you guys, um, the cupboards were, were not there. There was a lot of talent there from, you know, multiple Pac-12 recruiting classes of the year, multiple five-star recruits, a whole bunch of four-stars, a whole bunch of three-stars who turned into good players like Jamal Hill or Brandon Dorlis, something like that. Um, so for Dan and company, this is a great opportunity to – You know, implement your guys into this into the program to use the old guys who are used to playing in the Pac-12, who are used to playing for the brand that is Oregon and for Pac-12 championships and, you know, impressive early games against Georgia or Auburn, whoever the case may be. There's a lot of youth. There's a lot of experience on this team. So To answer that half of the question, like, is this like a team that's, you know, after all these years, I guess it's set up to win? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of talent everywhere on the field. This is a team that I've seen, I mean, well, this is like the Twitterverse, but I've seen like anything more than two losses is unacceptable, which I find to be absolutely ridiculous. I think three losses is probably where Oregon ends up because we talked about that on last podcast. But, um, you know, part of those three losses might be because of the Dan Lanning experience at head coach. And this was something that, you know, Oregon's head coaching. I agree with both of you that Mario Cristobal had his moments of strength and weakness. So I'll put it like that. Um, you know, we could all point to specific examples, but I'll just keep it pretty, pretty broad across the board here when I'm talking about this question. Um, and I don't necessarily think that those situations are going to change with Dan Lanning. I don't know where the situations are going to be bad. I don't know where the situations are going to be good. Maybe he's an excellent game manager, but is really bad in another department. Um, we don't know. I mean, it sounds like from just you know practices of the second scrimmage, he might be a bad game manager because of that one messed up with the field goal. But we don't know. This is why, like Matt said, this is why you play the game. And, you know, to temper expectations on what Dan Lanning will do is always good. I understand the sky high expectations from a lot of people because, you know, Dan seems like a really good up and comer. And this is like in baseball terminology. This is like getting a dude who's uh, like a a top 10 prospect in in the, in the league. And then he finally gets his big league debut and you expect the world from him. You expect him to hit 300, hit a home run and like his first couple of bats, get the crowd going, get the team energized and sometimes that works sometimes you get somebody who's a stud just immediately just boom pedal to the floor no matter what and then other times it takes a couple months it takes until next year until they figure out their swing or they figure out you know what their approach is at the plate um i don't we just don't know what dan landing is going to be yet and i i do think that coaching has a huge thing to do with how good a team is um and like matt was saying quarterback play also dictates a lot because Quarterbacks are the most important position in football by far. Um, They're up there in terms of sports and the most important position. So it's all going to come down to, it's all going to seem to come down to like a bunch of things, but really it's going to come down to like three or four on how Oregon does this season. Um, The talent's there. The pedigree is there in terms of where these guys have coached and where they have excelled at and who they've produced through their programs. But we got to see it at this program. This is the first year for everybody here at Oregon, and they have quite the doozy of a, a non-conference schedule this season. And I don't, I don't think that's ever, uh, that's gonna stop during their time here. I think it's gonna to be you know, tough in the very get-go and they're gonna have to hit the ground running in order to be deemed quote unquote successful by people who watch the program.
1: And, and I guess if we wanna carry your baseball metaphor, we can even make that a little bit more close to the Oregon program and just think about five-star football talent and just the ranging yeah. outcomes of, of, that, of, like, Avon hey, Thibodeau arrives here, all the expectations in the world, and he doesn't start until Gus Cumberlander gets hurt. And then obviously has a fantastic freshman season, but it took a little bit of time. And then you have a <laughs> Penny Sewell who came in and was starting at left tackle from day one and was awesome. And, you know, I'm sure there were some growing pains. Obviously he gets hurt for his freshman year, so that metaphor kind of loses its, its luster a little bit. But I think it is totally fair to, to just to kind of, to guard that I just think people think he's going to be perfect right away. And I think that's, that's dangerous a little bit. You know, I think as we've established, and I don't want to talk too much about it, it there's sometimes it takes players and coaches a little bit more time to get going. And ultimately, I think ultimately Dan Lane is going to be an awesome coach. Just like I thought Chip Kelly was ultimately an awesome coach, but even Kelly, who's undoubtedly the most successful four-year run, probably would say the greatest coach in Oregon history. If if you, if you wanted to just use a, a small sample size, even he started off with a really, really tough beginning.
0: It's just setting yourself up for disappointment. That's not really like there. You could be you could miss an exciting and fun 9 and 3 year, but if you have this expectation that for some reason Oregon and Dan Lanning are going to be perfect outside of the Georgia game and you think 11 and 1 is the expectation and that everything is going to go perfectly fine, you're going to miss a, a a more than successful and entertaining 9 and 3 season. That maybe ends with a, a bull win, and you get to ten games, ten wins.
1: Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I think I think we've seen last couple of years that happened, especially last year's year where I know it was frustrating because of how good it was at its highs. But I think even during those highs, there, I think we we shared in that too of being frustrated yeah. even when they were winning games. So something to monitor, something to kind of keep an eye on. We'll see how things play out. Maybe Dan will be just incredible right away, and and all of this is going to sound silly in six weeks. I have no idea.
2: Maybe. we don't
1: know. Yeah. All right. Second one from at Crisley 12345 I don't think that's a social security number. I think those are just the numbers uh, in order to start. Okay. Um, Over under. The hot take, Eric. The hot Hot take. take. I think I cracked cracked his uh, Twitter handle. Over under. The past few seasons with Mario as coach, the offense hasn't been able to score more than about 35 points per game. Does this Oregon team average more or less than that this year? Uh, I did a little bit of research here just to kind of prepare for this. 35 points per game is actually kind of an interesting mark. Um, It's basically if you score over that, you're top 20 in scoring offense basically over the course of the last five years, you go back further than that. And it's a little bit more team scoring just because offenses and the spread offense, you know, like Oregon was averaging like 48 points a game, like back in like 2012, but like for the most part, over the course of the last five, it feels like 35 is about, 17th to 23rd in terms of scoring those type of teams get over that number or uh, the pac-12 has two or three teams maybe per year reach 35 points per game so i like that as a barometer to set this with because you're basically saying will oregon be one of the you know in the top 20 percent or so in the country in offense and top 20 15 to 20 you know top 20 percent basically in the pac-12 in offense and i think that's kind of an interesting discussion point um, just to kind of think about there are plenty of reasons for why this offense can absolutely score more points than last year's offense, which, by the way, I mean, we want to talk about how last year's offense wasn't very good. And, and I'd agree, like there were some clear weaknesses there. It's still an offense that averaged 31 points per game, right? So they weren't that far off 35, even a year ago in a year, which I think everyone would admit was pretty underwhelming at times, um, and especially certain games. I and mean, in fact, Shoot, I bet if you take away those two Utah just complete, you know, self-vomits <laughs> out of the equation, the turd sandwich games, if you will, um, then they're probably over 35 the rest of the season. You know, that's 17 points in two games there. I mean, if you take that away, it's probably close to 35. So can they get to 35? Sure. Absolutely. I don't have any doubt that they can do it. But as we just established before and, and Matt touched on, it is a new offensive coordinator kind of doing it on his own for the first time. It's a new head coach running the show. Obviously, Dan's gonna be giving Kenny, I think most of the, I think, I think Kenny's got to have basically full agency, full autonomy to run his offense the way he wants to, but Dan will have some impact there. Those are both new guys kind of running those parts of the team. And then you have a ton of newness as we talked about the rest of the team. I mean, outside of offensive line, the quarterback's new, the running backs are new, the wide receivers are, are guys who've maybe been around a little bit, but never in these roles, the tight ends, I guess are a little bit more, have a little more experience, but it's only sophomores basically, you know? So there's a lot of reasons to think that this offense can, can, jump over 35 i think it's it's not out of the realm of possibility but i am also like don't be surprised if it's pretty comparable to last year's offense which i know is going to make people think well they should be better than last year's offense and i don't disagree but there is so much newness here and, and i frankly just haven't seen enough to guarantee it but i, I think it's pretty likely they get closer to I, I think they'll score more points than last year probably but i i don't want to say that they're going to score 38 points per game or something to be a top 10 scoring offense. I think that's kind of ludicrous to jump in and say. And and part of this will happen. And part of this also comes down to the fact that they played Georgia and they played BYU in non-conference play. Those are games where it's maybe going to be hard to get close to that 35 point per game mark or or 35 points, which could hurt your overall average.
0: I was just going to say there's There's five games – in my eyes, where it wouldn't surprise me if Oregon scores below 35 points this season in, in that particular game. Georgia, BYU, Washington State, California, and Utah. Um, and I almost throw in Oregon State into that mix as well because it's a rivalry game. End of the year, you can get some funky weather with the fog or what have you. And, and then the Beavers are going to be better this coming season than they have been. Um, but 35 is a lot um i I think we're all spoiled still even when we're over 10 years removed now almost from chip kelly being the head coach at oregon um and think how much different college football is today than it was when chip kelly was the head coach and oregon was averaging over 40 points a game i mean that's just crazy um i i also don't see a lot of games where oregon's going to be in that 50 or that high 40 mark, from a scoring perspective. So, if if we're playing this game, I'm gonna go prices right strategy, and I am gonna say they are gonna average 34.9 points or fewer, uh, but they will not they will not hit 35. Um, and if they hit 35, look, that goes back to what I was talking about the first question. That, you know, if they if they hit 35, it, it means that their offense is is clicking and things are going well and we could be seeing a really special season because i think when you pair it with that defense that's when you win a lot of football games when your offense can average that and your defense can be pretty stout like we all expect it to be so um i i think temporary expectations a little bit go in maybe hoping or expecting you know a a, a little worse of a product and so when it does perform a little above those expectations, you're you're pleased, you're happy, you're excited, and don't go in thinking that this is going to be the 2014 Oregon Ducks football team with Marcus Mariota and all the weapons he had, or a Chip Kelly team because Mario Cristobal is gone and Kenny Dillingham has talked about how they're going to air it out, they're going to take all these deep shots, and you know they they want more tempo. Like don't have this expectation that. It's gonna be a Maserati up and down the field. Um, it, you know, enjoy it. Don't don't put these un- unfair expectations on this offense just quite yet. And and like like I think Jared has said it. It could be very good, it, but it also might not be very good. We don't know. Um, and so, temper your expectations. And I almost think temper your expectations after three weeks, because Eric, you brought up the point like. Georgia is one hell of a way to start a season, but then BYU could be your signature game almost every other year too. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's a tough non-con, like I was saying earlier. Uh, I'm going to answer the question. I'm going to say over. Uh, I actually really like what this offense could be. Um, I agree with Matt to te- kind of temper expectations. because I think Oregon fans kind of get lost in that. Um, just uh, the idea that this year could be the Chip Kelly year, and, you know, that was kind of the same way when Oregon brought Joe Moorhead in. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you know, I'm going to go over. I I usually would go under on a thing like this. I'm going to go over because the other day I watched the entire Oregon versus Washington game from last season. Boy, was that abysmal. Yeah, I don't know. Don't don't ask why I did. I just did. I, I needed some football in my life. It was late Saturday night, so two days ago. It was after watching like Vanderbilt and Hawaii, and I wanted like real football. Uh, not real football was played there either. Um, Oregon's offense last year, except for the Alamo game, which you know, if you want to read between the lines and what I'm saying, do it. Um, it was a terrible offense. It really was. It, there's there's no reason why Oregon was close in that game with Washington. I know the conditions were 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 pretty bad, but you, know, you look bad. at a game against Cal. You look at a game against Fresno State. There were you look at Stanford. There were a lot of opportunities where Oregon had, this op- had, the, had the talent level, had the exposure, had the ability to be a much better offense than what it actually was last year. And they never did it. And they never showcased what they could do. And I think, you know, it, it, the, I mean, just the, the storyline that Oregon was hiding plays against Ohio State for Fresno State, that's already like, that was already a massive red flag in my mind. And to me, I just feel like this offense has way more potential than last year's deal. I think Anthony Brown was a fine quarterback, but certainly had his moments of just, you know, just, uh, you know, making mistakes, things like that. Um, He was doing well in the NFL preseason, so I'll give him the nod there. But I think this offense with with Bo Nix at the helm, who's already worked with Kenny Dillingham, who they already have a connection there. I understand both of those guys are new to Oregon, but they're not new to each other. They are not new in terms of having a relationship and understanding how the other person thinks. Uh, bonex's best statistical season was probably 2019. If you want to look at all the numbers and add them up from a rushing and passing yard perspective, that was his freshman year with Kenny Dillingham. I know Kenny Dillingham hasn't been the the offensive coordinator, the play caller for, um, for actually the ones calling the games because he's worked with an offensive coach, but he's learned from two really good ones along the way. So I think the talent level, wide receiver and, and tight end, is pretty damn good. I think running backs are really good as well. There's a lot of guys there that they can use. And I think 35 points per game is very reachable. I think the only problem I could see is, again, this first game against Georgia where Oregon could score like three. And it could be like a 10 to three game like how Clemson and Georgia was to begin the season last year. I, I think, well, we'll get into predictions later this week. But, you know, that's like, in my, in my eyes i feel like that's the best way for oregon to, to win this game is to make it really ugly and make it just a defensive stalemate. just make it 10 to 3. and byu is another good defense washington will still be good utah blah 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 i just think the fact that oregon's offense as strugglesome as it was last season and not so mm-hmm. much fun to watch was still at that 32 point per game threshold 31 point per game threshold i think just a few more few more things here and there in the offensive play calling can get them up to 35 points a game. I, I, and it's going to be tough. I get that a top 20 offense, but I think the talent level on this roster is a top 20 offense. As long as guys who were four or high, high four stars, four stars last season coming in as true freshmen, as long as they continue to live up to expectations and continue to do well, like we've been seeing, but I don't know, maybe I'm too optimistic about how this offense will run next year.
1: Two things before we go to break. Um, the Cal Stanford stuff, I thought more about those games, the offense. I just think we have to acknowledge that the play caller was in the hospital for those. And like, I think that those were really terrible outcomes. And that we, we just absolutely obliterated Brown and the offense against Stanford. And obviously, that was a really devastating loss, just the way it went down in general. I just wonder how if Joe Moorhead doesn't end up in a hospital with a very serious, like literally life-threatening situation. I just kind of wonder how those games go and how that maybe changes the season as a whole. But again, that's in the past. So I don't want to look at that too much. And then the other thing I was just looking at here, I was trying to see what I know. And I know it's hard to do this because Dillingham, like what exactly was his role as offensive coordinator? Cause it sounds like it was a Chip Kelly, Mark Kelfrich kind of relationship where Chip Kelly is the offensive minded head coach, Mark Kelfrich is, the guy who's like, quote unquote, your offensive coordinator, but he's not playing uh, calling plays. If you look at what Florida State did the last two years with Dillingham as the offensive coordinator, 27 points last year and then uh, 25 points the year before. And then at Auburn in 2019, where he was the same role to uh, Gus Malzahn, 33 points per game. That was third for the SEC, by the way, which is pretty notable because that's an extremely difficult conference. So basically what I'm saying is the pedigree is hard to parse through here, even with Dillingham, because we don't know exactly how to value the, that information based upon role. But only really the 19 season, which I'm going to say if he scored 33 points in the SEC, that's like 40 points in the Pack 12 So I'm going to say that counts. But I think the last two years, not super impressive. But again, I don't really know how to translate like I feel a Florida like Florida State team was was bad. Yeah, it's it's equivalent team. of being like, oh, this guy averaged 19 points per game in high school, and now he's going to go play at college, and you expect him to average like whatever. Like, who, I don't, it doesn't really translate. I don't really know how to do it. So, I just wanted to give that some context in terms of what what his offense have done recently. Sure. I don't
0: like looking back at Florida State stuff, and maybe this is selective memory, just because that program is disgusting. It's not. It's not – when we think of Florida State, it's not what any three of us think of um, when you hear that name. It's bad. It's really bad.
1: But No, you're you're, you're not wrong. I just wanted to give some – Sure,
0: 100%. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue this discussion, um, and it will lead to some defensive discussion as well as more – uh, Oregon football getting ready for the 2022 football season. All right, welcome back to the and Audible's podcast. Uh, a couple questions and a couple more to go here on the mailbag. Thanks again, everyone, for sending in your questions each and every week. We really appreciate it.
1: Guys, I'm going to flip the order here. We're going to do a different oh. order, but we we kind of scratched a question last second. I think it makes more sense to do it this way. So I'm going to ask the question from at Jake Derman next. Who do you guys believe has a better season, Dante Manning or TriQuest Bridges? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. It's funny because if you would have asked me this a week ago, um, and this speaks to how little we're actually seeing in practice, I would have said, oh, those are two guys that are kind of strange to compare to each other. They don't play the same position. Turns out they do. Turns out TriQuest Bridges, who was at safety all spring, is playing corner now. And so I, I think it's really interesting because I think what the question is getting at is basically who's your number two corner? I, mean, I think we've already established Christian Gonzalez as your number one and I think potentially a very good number one corner. But the Manning Bridges competition, I think, is really hard to parse through because a year ago, Bridges was kind of seen more favorably. Manning. There's a reason Bridges started games to begin last season over Manning at corner. There's a reason that at the back end of the season um, when there were it was a, some ins and outs of, <clears throat> in the lineup that Bridges got a little bit more run than Manning. But then in the spring, the spring is the part that really throws me for a loop because we were actually watching practice. Both these guys were the ones the whole spring until Manning got dinged up at the end. And I thought Manning looked awesome in the spring from what we saw. And it's a bummer we didn't see him in the spring game to see how he'd compete those kind of reps and i thought bridges was really great at the back end which is why i was thinking these guys could probably play different roles and on the same defense so i think it's really challenging to kind of assess these two guys roles this year um i'm gonna lean bridges just based purely upon last year in terms of that was how that year went down but i'm also kind of like new staff manning has a ton of natural gifts. Remember, people forget sometimes, former five-star recruit, highest rated defensive back Oregon has ever mm-hmm. signed and had enrolled. So it's hard to bet against that pe- pedigree. But I also think Triquez, in terms of on-field stuff, at least last year, was the better player. And obviously yeah. Manning didn't play in 2020. So it's a hard one, but I'll lean, I'll lean bridges over Manning, but it's really close for me. And I, I really don't feel great one way or the other. I think it's tough.
0: I think you're splitting hairs here. Um, but if we have to split hairs... I'm, I'm with you, Eric. I'm going with Bridges. I think he's the more accomplished player between the two. And that's not a slight at, at Dante. I mean, Dante Manning got hurt in 2020 with that hamstring injury, which really prevented him from doing anything all season long. Um, I, I think, not to go off a tangent, I think this should show us just how special of a player Noah Sewell is because while Sewell hasn't had to deal with an injury – basically his entire time at Oregon is much like Manning's and it's been impacted by COVID. I mean, 2022, they really couldn't prepare for the season, which hurt Dante Manning. And then he gets hurt at the beginning of the year and misses most of the year and doesn't have a good off season because of local restrictions in town that prevent him from working out with the team. And so Manning is entering really his first off season or his first year in 2022, which will be his third year on campus where it's normal and he's having to learn a new defense on top of that. So like I have a little bit of leeway here with the lack of, I guess air quotes, lack of production from, from Dante Manning Um, just understanding what he's had to get through to play, you know, football at Oregon injuries and COVID and coaching change and all of that. I think he's going to have a big year for Oregon in 2022, but I think Bridges is a guy that Oregon's previous staff hit on. I think he's got position versatility that can give you a lot of options. And I think he he will be Oregon's other cornerback unless Manning rips the starting job away from him, which will only make the room better if that's the case.
2: Yeah, I've been on the Dante Manning hype train this entire offseason. I'm uh, not stepping down. I still believe that he's going to be very good this season for the Ducks. Yeah. Um, I apologize for the noise going on. Like, someone's moving above me or cleaning. I don't know what's going on. Just a lot of loud noises. Um, but I do really like Dante Manning and what he can bring to the table. However, it does kind of concern me that they had to change tryques Bridges' position from safety to cornerback. Three or, like, you know, during fall camp, even though he was the, like, number one uh, boundary safety during spring when we were able to watch. Granted, there were a couple other safeties that were hurt during the time, so that's something to consider. Um, yeah, this is a tough one. I just – this was the same thing that happened last season. It was the the cornerback two or three uh, who's going to start, who's going to be the first guy off the pine for between Manning and Bridges. And Bridges won last season, and, you know, it's hard to – think that he probably won't win this season but i'm sticking with dante manning in this instance um i think with this new coaching staff um without a clear like two guys ahead of him and michael wright and tj james um i think he's gonna seize the opportunity here in his third season uh, i think he's just he's i think he's a better athlete than Triquaz bridges and that's saying a lot because bridges is a hell of an athlete in his own right um i just think at one point this stuff is going to click I think He was highly rated for a reason. I think he's probably one of the best better athletes on the team. Um, I'm just going out on a limb and having like whimsical confidence that this year he is going to click and he's going to be a good cornerback alongside Christian Gonzalez. And I think Triquez Bridges will be the third guy on the team. But I think it's an okay situation either way. I think Manning and Bridges are both very good. I think that this is okay for Oregon's defense, depending on or not depending on who's starting. I think it'll be fine. I think Gonzalez is is the lockdown guy. Again, we haven't seen him actually like in pass coverage or anything like that. But from everything we've heard, it sounds like Christian Gonzalez is one of the best players on the team, which is always a good thing to hear. Um, but again, I, I I think it'll be fine either way. But I'm I'm sticking aboard the Dante Manning hype train um uh, don't don't plan on jumping off until something just you know lets up 17 touchdowns in three games or something like that i don't know but go dante
1: gotta love whimsical confidence it's one of my favorites that's all
2: i got i i, I don't know i don't have any backup from practice or anything like that to watch so i'm yeah. just saying yeah good dante is it he's the he's the guy
1: you know and and i think just a quick tangent or a quick little couple of thoughts before we get to the final question for the show um you know When we talked about corner in the spring, it was Gonzalez, Manning, everyone else. And now I feel like if we're looking at tiers, it's kind of shifted to Gonzalez, Manning, Bridges as a second tier. And now you've got all these young guys who we have just not seen. Like, we've seen very little, by the way, of Gonzalez on campus doing things besides the spring game. Mm -hmm. Um, And then what we've heard, we've seen next to nothing of that bottom group. You know, Dickerson played a little last year. Kind of, I think the jury's still out on what we make of him. We've heard, I'd heard some good things in the spring, but we'll see how things play out. I think it's a little bit alarming that none of them, according to Coach Martin, like have come in and just taken over that number four spot. I mean, it seems like you'd like to have seen that already. Maybe that's also not turning over, nice. not sharing her hand, and maybe dangling the carrot again for a full week of camp because he said that like middle of last week. Um, but between you know Dickerson. Darren Barkins, who returns, and then the, the three true freshmen, Jaleel Tucker, Jaleel Florence, and Kamari Terrell, one or two of those guys, you probably need to be field ready by the middle of the year. I think if you have three healthy guys in Gonzales, Manning, and Bridges, whatever order you know Bridges and Manning are in, you're pretty set for a while, but it doesn't take a lot for you to have to rely on one of these young guys who really are really, really unproven, even though I would say Manning and Bridges at corner are fairly unproven as well. So it's an interesting spot for that secondary. And again, it remains, I think, the position I'm probably lack the most confidence in on, on the team, even though I'm really high on what Gonzalez is, is going to be for Oregon this year. All right. Last question from at Ross underscore. Makaluch, I know he's done this he's, he's he's asked questions before but Ross I can't pronounce your name. So, someone lay it out for me Ross in the is it comments. A soft
2: or... c. Is it like
1: mace Which c? There's two c's in here. Anyway, we'll figure no, it loose. out. Ross we're discussing it on the podcast so if you if you put your question out there and you watch the show hopefully you're going to be able to listen to me asking for you to uh kind of spell out how you want me to pronounce this cuz I apologize for this is like asking Madurai to pronounce Polynesian names. <laughs> uh, doesn't go great all right anyway long interlude uh from ross are you expecting a fake punt onside kick etc to steal a possession or two from georgia in week one preferably if the ducks are not up 11 hashtag odds and that's of course <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question if, if,
0: yeah, did go you ahead. get the
1: joke i do yeah nebraska scott frost shouldn't be shouldn't be doing it but you know he did, and uh, not good for the former Oregon offensive coordinator. That's really – by the way, this is – before we even get to the question, I'm kind of stunned how just god-awful things in Nebraska have gone for Scott Frost. Like, I always held him in fairly high esteem here, and then he was like 12-0 at UCF, and I was like, oh, he's going to do pretty well in Nebraska's alma mater. He's like – he's going to be the golden boy down there. And it's just been a complete shit show, to, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'd be – at this point, I'm kind of questioning if he makes it – through the whole season this year, no, no chance. He should have been I checked fired our,
0: I checked our Nebraska site after that loss was over, and they basically already fired him as a fan base. They fired. I telling him to come last home.
2: year. They yeah. fired him like two years ago as a fan base. He's been just terrible there. It's just everybody is. He's at twenty or now twenty-one one-score losses in his tenure at Nebraska. Five
0: and twenty-one.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know what it's going to take for that guy to not have a job there. But it's going to, it, it's going to happen this season. It should have happened against, I mean, they lost to Northwestern, the fighting journalists. Come on, what
1: are we doing? <laughs> You're Nebraska. They should have never, fished, you know. They should have never fired Bob Pellini. Go look at that guy's record. It's like the most. He's the he yeah, was the, he was actually good for think like two
2: years. He had like nine no, wins. He,
1: he was the Jim Mora. He was the Jim Mora of Big uh, yes. coaches, where it was just like we're going to win seven to nine games every year. We're never going to lose. We're never going to have a losing record, but we're also never going to win ten games, which is not what Nebraska or UCLA, for that matter, wanted. But anyway, nobody,
0: nobody. I, I think this is just a another example that if you're a coach and you leave Oregon your success rate is not very high. If you <laughs> openly weird. choose to leave Oregon, your, your your success rate at that next stop is not very high. Willie Taggart, Mark Helfrich, or Helfrich didn't choose. Uh, Willie Taggart, uh, we've, we've got Chip Kelly in the NFL, uh, Scott Frost now. It took a while, but it's, it's coming to an end here.
1: Yeah, I think for Frost, it's like, maybe just don't leave ucf
0: but i i yeah. I impossible. agree 100
1: impossible because he went to nebraska and that like would be yes how are you going to, to say
0: it? no to your alma mater
1: well ask how mario. would you say no yeah, yeah. Exactly. ask mario that question yeah he didn't have he had the same answer so anyway we did, we'll get to this question eventually ross apologize uh but no i think uh i think it's just kind of bizarre to see that go down but I it, it's a question that I think worth because we saw a couple people ask this about like, did you expect Oregon to run trick plays? Um, so I'll kind of include that in the punt, the fake punt onside kick thing of just kind of the general idea of doing something kind of abnormal because of the opponent. <clears throat> uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they do something kind of crazy here and there because <clears throat> I mean, again, I, I don't want to overstate, the difference in talent between Georgia and Oregon, because Oregon has a really good roster, but Georgia just won a national championship. I also know Georgia has lost a bunch of guys. So I see this on a message board of like, I saw some sort of, again, I'm going to do a, a side here before, but this is just something that bugged me. I saw something on social media a couple of days ago that was like, trying to be re- 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 like, which, which team has the advantage at each position group and it gave like Oregon and Georgia, like the same, like Oregon had three, there was a couple pushes and Georgia had three or something. And it's just, Ludicrous fan from a fan from like maybe that's an exercise we can do and maybe that's a fun exercise to do in general. But like I was that like, one oh. hurt to read. I know I was like, talk about. oh yeah. um But my point is like, I I do think for Oregon to win this game, things are going to have to break their way. Yeah. Whether that whether that be Georgia makes a bunch of mistakes, turns it over, doesn't maximize its red zone opportunities, misses you know misses field goals. Um, I, I think if this game is played in a situation where both teams are kind of like firing on all cylinders on both sides of the football. I don't expect Oregon to win this game. So I think if you're Oregon you you hope to force some turnovers, you hope to have a couple of lucky bounces. I don't even say lucky, but have a couple of things bounce your way. And then yeah, like I think if it's if it's yeah, I think if you're up 11, maybe you don't kick an onside kick or fake punt, but I think if if you if you're in a situation where you think there's a competitive advantage to be had in the game by by being a little bit more aggressive and pushing the envelope a little bit more i i, I think it's worthwhile to consider and i'll be curious to see like kenny dellingham is known for being a pretty creative play call i know not play call but a pretty creative mind in terms of we've heard you know players talk about that kind of thing or the offense has a lot of fun nuances and and he's talked about wanting to be kind of a you know challenge himself with some i think he even said challenge himself with some difficult play calls in one of the scrimmages like Kind of wonder what what they've got hanging out over there in the h d c in terms of some ideas that maybe you could throw some sort of flea flickers and double reverse passes and stuff like that, and you know just kind of what is in the arsenal and i I wonder if we'll see that maybe early on against Georgia to try to set a tone
0: I think it's all about just doing it in a smart manner. I don't think it's like you said, you know you're up 11 mid fourth quarter or early fourth quarter and onside kicking it, you know, giving all the momentum back. Like that's stupid, Right. but maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's not even a trick play, but necessarily all of a sudden in the late third quarter, you, you go tempo really fast and that's some trickery thrown in, you know, getting away from who you are and taking advantage of a situation. Um, or maybe it's like a fake field goal where it's, Hey, we know we're inside the 20 yard line. And if this doesn't work well, like they still have to go the length of the football field. So we're going to throw a fa- you know, a fake punt or a fake field goal at Adam, something of that nature. I, I don't know. I don't expect crazy trick plays. And maybe if you, if you call like reverses a trick play, um, I could see that happening more than I could see an onside kick or a fake punt or you know some kind of pass out of a out of a field goal set or something like that. Um I, I could see Oregon going for two. You know, maybe maybe it's a situation where it comes up where it's hey, if we can get this two-point conversion, it puts us up by more than two scores or 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 cuts the two score lead to one score. Let's take the risk here to do that like that's what i could see but i i don't i don't see flea flickers i don't i don't see fit you know onside kicks from happening from Oregon. but dan feels like a i dan doesn't feel like a real 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 big risk taker but that's just a total guess in, on my part
1: yeah i know it is <laughs> i have no idea they might come out and have like three running back passes to start the game Right. right. sean Dawkins is the quarterback yeah
2: yeah uh, the answer of Ross's question am I expecting it um, sure why not? Uh, like I said earlier I, I don't know like maybe I haven't seen them throw more than 30 yards just quarterback to quarterback in six months but the uh, like I was saying earlier this needs to be a rock fight for Oregon to win this needs to be like you know 17 to 10 10 to 3 13 to 10 it needs to be just, a defensive masterclass from Lanning and Kirby smart and Oregon needs to have a couple of things bounce their way. Like Eric was saying, does not have to be lucky bounces, but a ball on the ground. If for Oregon to really capitalize, it's got to bounce towards one of their defenders or not one of Georgia's offensive players. And maybe that comes with a trick play. Maybe that comes with an onside kick to come out of halftime or something like that. Um, I hate fake fake field goals and fake punts so I pray to God Oregon doesn't do that um because that is just a nightmare in general I feel like those never go correctly um and when they do it makes the rounds but they're 90% they're just a turnover waiting to happen um and and, and again like I don't I don't know if if they're going to do a trick play or something like that or not I I would assume that Kenny Dillingham has it up his sleeve um I think we saw a wide receiver pass in the spring game, if I remember correctly. Um, So he's got it up there. uh, Every offensive coordinator does, but will they be that level of trickery against Georgia who, I don't know, if if things just go a little bit wrong, that defense is going to be very scary and capable of intercepting like Troy Franklin's throw to Dante Thornton. Um, I I think it's going to be very specific where they pick their shots I think if it's going to be at any point, um, I could see them taking shots with like a wide receiver pass or something like that, like on first down and just completely confuse the defense how they should. But I don't think they're going to get desperate to do it. I think they're going to try to attack and do it. I I just think if they get down, they're going to go to what what their bread and butter is. And I don't know what their bread and butter is because we haven't seen it. But, you know, like last year it was – with, with, or with Mario, it was just, we're going to run the ball right at the middle and gonna say, you guys try and stop us. Um, for whatever Oregon's bread and butter is this season, if Oregon gets down to Georgia early, I don't think a trick play is coming. I think they, they are, their opportunity to do so has already stopped. Um, I think it will happen early to try to get a lead and try to get some momentum because they're going to need it in Atlanta.
1: Okay, I have a one last thing, and it's a trivia question. Hear. It's a trivia question that I came with, stumbled upon yesterday pretty organically. Do you know who the Hatfields in the Hatfield-Dallin complex, what, whose last name that is?
0: Yes. No. Who's, who's that? Uh, it is Penny, wife, uh, Penny Knight's mom. It's, it's Phil Knight's mom. Phil Knight's mom.
1: I, I just was a little surprised because I thought that was a Tinker-Hatfield thing. But no, the, the Hatfield-Dallin complex, this is just a random trivia question, is named after Phil's mom, Lotta Hatfield, and Penny's mom, Dorothy Dallin. So there you go.
0: We talked Thanks about Sarah. that on the car ride up uh, to Portland yesterday in, in my family car as we were taking a drive north.
1: Well, that's I, I. was talking with my parents on the back deck eating a slice of pizza. We were. I always just thought it was. It's weird how. Uh. Yeah. Apparently. Where'd you go
2: for pizza? That's the question.
1: We had some Pegasus pizza brought over after watching a Formula One race. It was a good time. No. But uh, no, I, I I was expecting that to be related somehow to Tinker, and it uh, turns out it's uh, it's it's some mom love. So uh, I thought that was a little surprising, but interesting. I don't know. I'm curious to see how many Oregon fans listening knew that, and how many just or how many assumed it was Tinker related. And then the thing I was trying to figure out, which I'd love to see if anybody knows, is is there some sort of familial relationship there with Tinker and, and Phil there with a, with the mom's maiden name being. Hatfield, could they be like distant cousins or nephew, something? I don't know. Is there something there? It just kind of had dawned on me. I thought it was interesting because Hatfield's not a super common last name.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, Philip or, or Tinker, if you're listening, please yeah. reach out. Uh, we, us,
1: we'd love to know. Let us know.
0: All right. It's going to do it for us here on the Auds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for submitting your questions. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Odds and Audibles podcast.
1: Talk to you later, folks. Peace.